our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast, the podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game. Uh, no Peter this week. Um, he's out having drinks with his fiance. I'm surprised he can make it anywhere after the stag weekend he's just been on, of which I was a witness. Um, but, um, well, I'm sure we'll have him back for the next one. We're going to do a preview of the final game coming up in our next episode. But for this one, it's a review of the Leeds game. And we are delighted to welcome back Jack Phillips to the podcast, who came on a few, probably a few months ago, I think, wasn't it, Jack? Welcome back. Thanks, good to be back. Excellent. And you um, have with you your father, Graham Phillips, as well, joining us for the first time. Welcome to the podcast, Graham. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Excellent. Jack said um, that I've stitched him up by inviting you on as well. So <laughs> I don't know who's, who's feeling more nervous about this, one or the other. <laughs> you both seem to be, really. But uh, <laughs> Jack, we think Jack. Uh, right. <laughs> so if you have any embarrassing stories about him growing up, feel free to, to share them with us. That's fine. There's no editing on this podcast. We'll just keep the whole thing in. <laughs> Um, but anyway, as you, as you are our debutante, Graham, would you like to start off with um, telling us about your Albion backstory, how it all started, where and when and how? Yes, well, it's goes back a long time, I'm afraid. I'm that old. Um, so 1966 was when I first saw them. I don't know why. Uh, I suddenly got into football because of the World Cup and... Uh, my father, who liked football, couldn't think of anything worse than taking me to the Albion. So um, I just suddenly decided I'd go with a friend to see what it was like. And that was it. Uh, late in Orient in the League Cup in August 1966. Um, and I missed the opening goal, I think, because I didn't realise that you could turn up at 5 to, I think it was 7.25 in those days. And uh, and there might be a crowd waiting to get in. So <laughs> I was about 10 minutes late and missed an early goal by the Albion. But I thought it was good. I was in the North Stand. It was wonderful. And I stuck with them ever since. I've had moments because I haven't lived in Brighton for quite a long time. And I've had moments where I've drifted away. But 
not as a fan, but just found it difficult to get to Brighton. Um, mm. I have been to Gillingham. I've seen them a few times at Gillingham. Woeful. Uh, I couldn't get, uh, saw the last game, uh, the Goldstone, of course. Um, and uh, finally became a season ticket holder in about, so when we got to the Amex, never been a season ticket holder before. Always gone in the North Stand, the East Terrace and the South Stand. And um, they are my love and home will always be my love. Not my Excellent. first, but second. <laughs> oh, well, after Jack, maybe third. Well, I don't know. Second or third. I'm not sure. Oh, I'll, I'll take third on the list. Liz. No, that's, <laughs> that's not too bad, is it? That's not too bad. <laughs> so, yeah, a couple of points to pick up on that then. I mean, so you're saying 7.25. That's, this was uh, 7.30 kickoffs, wasn't it? Well, then? I think so. I don't I think it's such a thing I, at the 7.45. No, thing. that's more of a more, well, it's more of a generally recent thing, isn't it? If you look mm. at the whole history of football, I think people forget that now because things are moving more towards 8 o'clock. Yeah, kickoffs as yeah, well, yeah. but it was seven thirty. I think was the normal kickoff yeah. time for evening games. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. And 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 it not only was seven thirty, it was always three o'clock. Of course, I can't remember there ever being uh, apart from the uh, the sort of the seventies when there were blackouts when you had a few afternoon kickoffs um, because of uh, power failure. But um, there were weird things that went on in those days. So. 7.30 and 3 o'clock kickoffs only. Nobody went to away games. In fact, I can remember going to away games in 1967-68 and being one of only four people watching the Albion. Uh, and uh, it was that bad. And you know, no, there was no interest in going to away games. Uh, the teams used to come out at 5 to 3. They did no training at all before the game started. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah. A couple of beers aside, maybe. A couple of beers, um, yeah, uh, including Brighton players who would be having a couple of beers up till about two o'clock and then get a taxi up to the goal. So I won't name who that was, but um, it was, that was, I'm sure that was true. Um, and uh, the other thing was um, that at half-time, it was only 10 minutes, and you could walk from the North Stand to the South Stand, and I think you could pay threepence to transfer. So you could watch the Albion and sack both goals. And the, the backdrop, I was going to say the backdrop of your first game there, you, you're saying it's an August evening, 1966. Yeah. You must have been, it must have been a balmy summer that, just uh, just still basking in the glory of what had happened just, what, a, a month before, was it? Or oh, a few absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, um, I, I hadn't got into football particularly until the World Cup and uh, I didn't realise how fantastic it was because you did get to watch some football, but it was usually fairly late or match of the day and it was, you know, very, very poor broadcast. And uh, there was no, never any daytime football available to watch unless you went to a live game. And then suddenly the World Cup came and, of course, every game was broadcast and it was during daylight hours mostly. So, you know, I just thought it was the most fantastic thing I'd ever seen. And uh, I ditched Sussex County Cricket Club and all those boring county games very quickly to go and watch the Albion. It, it, it was a pretty bad season, 66-7, apart from a great cup run where we, you know, drew with Chelsea at home, uh, which was fantastic. But, you know, I can remember uh, standing on the East Terraces in the pouring rain, seeing a nil-nil draw with Workington. Um, and that wasn't good. And I've still got my programme and it's just absolutely, it's, you know what happens to Papier-Mâché, you know, you know, it's just, so the, it, it's still there. You know 
how bad that weather was. I just don't know what made, I think I was on my own as well. So that's, I don't think anybody, any of my friends wanted to go to see Workington at home because it had been raining since seven o'clock in the morning. You surprised me. Yeah. <laughs> and then I said, shall we go to Walsall away next week? <laughs> I said, uh, no, no, but you can go. Um, and, and that's, that's what happened. I was a bit of a fool, you know, so I'm very young, but well, of course, but you know, um, I fell in love. Fantastic. Mm. I think we all had these sort of fascinations with that whole notion of it. something magical about going to the football, isn't there? I yeah. think it was predominantly probably in those days more of a male thing, but I think a lot of ladies got into it more later. But um, I think men tend to have this very geeky kind of penchant within themselves to kind of do stuff like that. And I think the notion of going on your own in the rain to mm. a football match against yeah. an unglamorous team. Yeah. I, I don't think you, maybe nowadays you would, but I don't think back then it wasn't, it didn't seem to be the preserve of the fairer sex, as they say. Um, no. It, it, no. But it was, um, it was certainly something that, um, not, not exactly that era, but I'm, um, the same thing with me. I just fell, fell in love with the notion, just the whole, the whole experience of it, really. Um, the good, the bad and the ugly. It was, it was brilliant. And it was usually a lot of ugly, really. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't even in the uh, in the mid sixties. It wasn't particularly pleasant. Um, you yeah. have to be very careful. Um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. A bit like Leeds, you know, away. You 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 weren't sure whether to wear your colours or not. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I mean, dare I say, we could talk about the Leeds game, of course, on this episode as well, uh, review of the match. But dare I mention that um, there was a report that um, somebody dropped a brick on some Albion fans from um, above uh, on a bridge um, after the match, post-match somewhere. Uh, No one was hurt, thankfully. But um, yeah, friends of mine went through the same way, not at the same time, but they heard about it. And you just think, that's just pathetic, isn't it? It's ridiculous, repulsive. Um, that that's still happening is bad enough, but as you said, Graham, in your, the area when you were first going to watch games, it must have been pretty, well, pretty unpretty. <laughs> I think is the way to put it. Um, certainly, when I first went in the seventies, very late seventies, early eighties, it felt the same. It was an edginess, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But with sixty six and, and just those first couple of years, who who are your main sort of uh, standout uh, memories uh, in terms of players? Well, I think uh, I think that um, uh, probably Dave Turner was fantastic. He was a bit like Dave Mackay, you know. He was a bit like sort of he was the um, the Virgil Van Dyke, I think, of the Albion. He's you know strong, uh, looked good, clever on the ball, um, a, a sort of poor predecessor of Mark Lawrenson, really, um, mm. and uh, and he was cultured. But um, we had. Uh, we also had, I mean, we had some pretty poor players as well, but we also had um, uh, Kit Napier, of course, who was great. Uh, and and the guy that, I, all I can remember about Charlie Livesey, who was supposedly, at one point, he was a Chelsea player originally, and at one point, um, uh, they really thought he was skilled enough to be in the England World Cup score in 66. Mm. Um he didn't make it, of course, but uh, they, they, you know, they uh, they actually thought he was good enough to do that. Uh, and the other player that wasn't so good, but um, I'm going to tell you the story because I've told it to you before, is Howard Wilkinson. Howard Wilkinson has a Leeds connection, of course, a great Leeds connection. Mm-hmm. Um, bailed out the Albion, I guess, by buying Mark Beanie um, in terms of um, uh, 
would he have done that if he hadn't got an Albion connection? Not sure, but it was a great thing to do. Uh, paid the tax bill, I seem to remember. Yeah. But he was a winger, um, and he wasn't particularly good at the Albion. He'd come from Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, and uh, and I, I, as I told you earlier, I used to go to these away games where only five or six people would go. And one of the away games where probably 10 went was Bournemouth away, when we would be mid-table towards the bottom and Bournemouth wouldn't be much better. And Wilkinson was playing on the wing and having a poor game. And um, he got tackled and got hurt, I think, and went down on the touchline. And the Bournemouth goalkeeper decided he'd had enough of Wilkinson. So he just walked over to him. Uh, big guy, the Bournemouth keeper, a guy called Roger Jones, um, good keeper. He walked over to him. He picked Wilkinson up, uh, uh, up to his chest, and threw him over the, uh, into the crowd, over the uh, wall, the, the wall. <laughs> and he didn't get booked. Uh, I think they all thought it was a bit of a laugh. Jones was furious with Wilkinson, and Wilkinson was a bit upset. But nobody seemed that bothered. It seemed like, <laughs> that's okay, that's a weird thing to do, but we'll let it happen. I wonder what would happen now in the gonna say. if somebody did that. I mean, I just, you know. The wall-to-wall coverage on Sky Sports News for days, wouldn't it? It would be Cantonar number two, wouldn't it, really? It would be, like, sort of so bizarre. Nobody would dream that anything like that would ever happen. And I still wonder if it's true. It's, it's like, you know, I know it's true because I saw it, but I don't seem to know anybody that witnessed it. And <laughs> I, I guess we need to ask how Wilkinson, if he remembers it, if he doesn't. But <laughs> It's the problem with being one of the four away fans, isn't it? But yeah. <laughs> yeah. there are only four people who witnessed it. That's, so right. It's... That's right. Yeah, and I don't yeah. even think that John Vinicom in the Evening Artist reported on it. I mean, that would be where it would be, wouldn't it? You know, outrage. Yeah. Albion player thrown into the crowd <laughs> in the 58th minute for feigning injury, in, in, according to Bournemouth's 28 stem goalkeeper or whatever. You know. Um, it didn't. I don't think it's there. I don't think it's reported. It's just one of those weird things. You get you get a number of people who try to drag players to their feet nowadays. You get you get a lot of that. But the only thing I can think of that vaguely resembles what you just said, Graham, is um, the, um, the the one with um, I've forgotten his name. That Dutch guy that we had um, who was useless. Um, uh, I know that doesn't narrow it down that much. Um, and <laughs> no, we're not Agustin. talking. Yeah, it was exactly him. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And that, that was no offense to Veltman, by the way. Great. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, Kemi Augustine, who rolled a player off the pitch, um, oh, okay. who, who was right by the North Stand goal at the, at the Amex, um, which was very funny. And he didn't seem to mind either, which I can't remember who the team was. It might have been Bournemouth, actually. Yeah. Um, as I recall, and uh, that would be a weird coincidence. Actually, yeah, it would, it was. Yeah, it would, I think yeah. I think it was Bournemouth, in fact. Yeah. And the player was just still rolling about. He'd, I think he'd had some contact, but he was making a big thing of it. And he just got rolled just the other side of the line, yeah. and uh, to great cheers. And again, I'm not sure how many people remember that now, even now from the Amex era. But yeah, great day. Okay. Happy just moments. Lastly, I, I just must say this. So, quick, back in that in those sixties. Charlie Livesey, the guy who was meant to be, you know, a World Cup reserve, he uh, was notorious for kicking the ball when he had a shot, for missing the goal and missing the entire south stand of the Goldstone Grand. And I know for a fact that if you were, uh, like, you know, that not that bothered about football, but you quite like the idea of a mitre, you know, match football, 
if you were clever as a kid, you could go down behind the stand on the match day and wait for a ball <laughs> to come over the top of the stand and then run off with it up and take it home. Uh, and I know this happened, uh, but I don't know the person that or any of the people that did it. But that was that was either a myth or a true story that wait for Charlie Livesey to smack the ball over the south stand, which he will do in every home day, and then you can nick the ball. Uh, if anyone yeah. I was going to say, a 1960s Eve Basuma, that sounds a bit like. But, I was just going to yeah. say, uh, or, or a Kazenga Luala Wala. Minus the Charlton game. Yeah. yeah um, it's, uh, if anyone does remember any of these stories and is itching to tell us, uh, please do. You can contact us um, at um, oh, on the Twitter account at BrightonLockPod. Uh, you can email us, BrightonLockPodcast at gmail.com if you want to share your memories, if you remember these memories. Um, certainly feel free to do so. Um, of course, it's all about new memories as well and we're having a great season aren't we at the moment um even though we've had two elements to it which hadn't been so good we'll probably touch on later which is a very long run of draws particularly in the middle part of the season and then of course a run of defeats which put some pressure on matters a little bit and um, we've come out of that we've had some great recent results i thought we were going to get another one at the weekend mm. i actually predicted a, <clears throat> either a three or five nil win in this game maybe it could have gone that way based on uh, based on the way we started the game if you discount the bit where um, a Leeds player saves with his face calderon style uh, but the opposite effect um but uh, I wasn't at the game. I've only seen match of the day highlights. Um, so I have very limited experience of the match. However, both of you two were at the game. So maybe at this point, bring Jack in first um, to talk about that. Um, what was your thoughts on the game, the match day experience as a whole? We'll get into the nitty gritty in a minute. But the overall thoughts on the game? I, I thought the game, we, we dominated the first half by that, that very scrappy early chance. They kind of leads came out as you expected. Um, and, and we didn't look great for about three and a half minutes. And then they melted away, having not scored that, that very early chance. Um, and then we should have been 4-0 four, four up at half-time, really. Um, and it was wonderful, finished by um, by Danny Welbeck. And I, I do have it on, on note that it was a, a practice celebration, uh, him and Dunk, that they'd rehearsed it and, oh, and had it, it was. ready. Yeah. So it wasn't coincidence <laughs> that it looked like Pele, Wele. Um, but um, yes, and he, of course, did the MR Heskey um, DJ spinning. Um, he's got a thing going uh, where he recreates sort of classic 90s and noughties celebrations. Um, and oh, he's got, right. he okay. apparently forgot to do it at Chelsea. Um, he had Drogba lined up, you know, the slide on his knees, chest pumping, and he got a bit carried away and forgot to <laughs> do it. But, um, the... You know, I thought we were absolutely fantastic in the first half. And then Leeds were really terrible. I thought, you know, as bad as, as some of the Watford performances, definitely as bad as, as uh, Norwich away. Um, and then they came out a lot stronger in the second half. But they, you know, looked weak in terms of personnel. Uh, and really, you know, we should have killed the game off when Welbeck missed, missed the header from two and a half yards. Um, which, which from the angle that we were at, looks like a goal. It was sort of, it was unbelievable that it didn't hit the back of the net because we were sort of right in line with the goal, and he he met it perfectly, and it was sort of, oh, that's perfection. Um, and then sort of saw it land in the hands of a Leeds fan behind the goal. Um, but we, you know, uh, at that point, I think I said to Dad, you know, there's one, there's one more goal in this, and I don't think it's going to be for us. Um, 
it just felt as if there was a lot of anger building up in the Leeds end. Um, and there was a lot of desperation and that we had started to lose our focus a little bit in those sort of last five, 10 minutes. Um, and you just felt all Leeds had to do was throw everything at it and they would squeeze one over the line. And then, of course, Tarek Lamptey probably should have finished the game in the most beautiful style. Um, but, I mean, that would have um, been brilliant, wouldn't it? Just after they been, got the equaliser. That would have been brilliant. But I think the reality is that, that the game should have been outside by that point. Um, but at the same time, I think it's been, you know, we couldn't ask for more in terms of an away season. Dad and I have been going, um, you know, before the Amex, mostly to away games. Um, and, and we've been able to travel across the country seeing some wonderful and less wonderful places. Um, but the, the reality is I, I can't remember many a season as good as this away and, and the draw at Leeds. You know, you can't really turn your nose up even if the tables have a, have turned on, on our positions uh, historically. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 it's been oft quoted even on Champions League form away from home. I don't know how it sits after a, a draw following that. Um, that stat, but um, it must be pretty much up there again. Uh, again, it's another game against Leeds. I mean, they, they were confident they were going to win, or a lot of fans seem to be confident they could win if they started well. And, uh, you know, that's where they would get their points from this game and from the Brentford away match. I'm thinking, well, Brentford are not easy to, to beat away from home. And we've got Champions League form away from home, plus we're their bogey side. But yeah, mm. I feel free to be confident, guys. Well, it was just annoying they did actually get something out of the yeah. game so late well, on. Well, we, we say we're their bogey side, but um, they haven't won at Brentford since 1950. So yeah. um, that's going to be a really tough one for them. I thought Brentford looked really great against Everton. Um, so it's uh, fearfully, well, I say fear for Leeds. Really, I quite like to see them down. But um, I, do, I do think that, you know, if Burnley pick up a point in the week, they're, they're dead and buried, in my opinion. Yeah, I was uh, just conversing with a Man United supporting, a London-based Man United fan, of course, needless, needless of course. to say, um, who's actually they're a good bunch of guys. It's a couple of families, uh, cousins and brothers. And um, he was saying um, he really wants Leeds to go down now. And I said, welcome to the whole world, mate. Yeah. <laughs> so I, think, I don't know many people that don't want them to go down. The, the only thing that complicates it is Burnley is so unpopular. That that would be a very favourable alternative. But I think I don't think anyone would begrudge it being Leeds, would they? Apart from Leeds fans, I would say. <laughs> even even the few Leeds fans I I spoken to, you know, I put uh, out some. I was watching the um, Chelsea Leeds game in the week, and uh, Alan Smith was saying, "Well, Brighton are." Very beatable for Leeds and an easy, you know, that must, they must see that as their winnable game. He's a great pundit, isn't he, Alan Smith? And I'm not being <laughs> in the least bit sarcastic here. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I, I just tweeted out, uh, you know, how can they say it's winnable with the fifth best team in the league away and Brentford uh, haven't lost a, a home to Leeds since 1950? And a bunch of Leeds fans said, it's just Sky, we're going down, we're terrible. And, and I think. You know, I, I'm sure Dad will agree with me, but I think that the anger at the quality Leeds had was pretty noticeable from the stands. They, what I I felt like, you know, they they were quite angry anyway, as they usually are. But that there was a lot of disappointment in those stands at, at how kind of low in quality a lot of those players were. Um, I know they're devastated by injuries, but it's, it's a thin squad, and really there's been a lack of investment there after that first season in the Premier League. And 
uh, I got the feeling that you know whilst whilst they are a fearsome bunch that um who believe that they, they are champions of Europe even though they've never won it um they uh do at the moment there is a real feeling that they're probably not good enough for the Premier League and that if they stay up there'll be there'll be a bit of luck um but they still think they deserve to stay up you know despite all that just because they're leads. Uh, yes, exactly. uh, I think that right. is the mentality actually because yeah. of the club rather than the team. And mm. the team is, is a poor team. Obviously they've got a couple of really good players and they've done very well with people like Bamford or, although he's out at the moment anyway. Um, but, um, ultimately when you look at it and you look at the other squads, they are one of the weakest squads. They have proved that over the season on based on results. And I think anything else has done that did good for them last season and also in previous seasons and in any of the earlier parts of this season um, is against the odds. It's not, you know, mm. he hasn't failed with this team. I think the team is just, has been overachieving. And if they go down, I don't think, it, it does sound to be fair to Leeds fans as if they, they are recognising on mass, most of them anyway, mm. that they are, you know, as a team, they're not, they're not really good enough. Um, and the other thing you mentioned, you probably alluded to it, but I'll just to clarify as well is that there was songs of sack the board going on in the, I think fairly close run up to the, to the equalizer. Actually, it, wasn't there? Yeah. Was the it, was very, it was very funny, to be honest. Um, so they, they were singing, <laughs> <Of course it laughs> they were singing, you know, Marcelo Bielsa's name first and then, uh, a whole ground chance and sacked the board and then they scored the equalizer. I looked over at, at that stand behind the goal and, uh, you know, after seeing sack the board, out came this big American flag and they were, you know, <laughs> all, all pro the San Francisco 49ers ownership being involved again. And you thought, oh, that's, you know, that's, there's fickle. And then there's having a flag ready to contradict yourself a minute and a half after you've sung sack the board. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of anger there, I think. And I think, I is... think, um, I think that one thing you've got to say about Leeds, which, which I'd forgotten really, it's been, been some time since, since I saw the Albion there. Um, I'd forgotten just how, you know, committed those supporters are. Yeah. Uh, you know, to the, to Leeds United. Um, hmm. and they, you, you know, they were woeful at times. They were really, really bad. And you know, they get, you know, we really should have put them to the sword. And, um, and you know, it, it's, it's Brighton's way, isn't it? Not to do that, really. Uh, almost like you can see players being completely confused. God, we have, I've got an open goal. Surely, surely it shouldn't be like that. This is the Premier League. I don't, you know, you don't get given these easy chances in the first 45 minutes to bury the whole match. And we didn't, and that's fine, um, because, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it was a difficult game with a difficult crowd. But they sort of stuck with their team, despite them being complete rubbish, I thought. And, and you've got the feeling that, that the players, if they could just keep us out for long enough in that second half, they just might grab an equaliser, and they might grab a winner from it as well. Um, totally undeserved, uh, and probably undeserved really, bar for the last 20 minutes maybe, to even get an equaliser. I thought mm. that we were so in control, even when they were, you know, desperately trying to mount an attack and shooting over the bar and a couple of Sanchez saves. But it was like any away game really, where, 
uh, a team has got the you know the, suddenly got the upper hand for a while and then they fade again. Um, I was I was quite disappointed that we let them in the end, and I, I just didn't don't know where Gelfar got that bit of skill from because I thought he was mm. really weak throughout the day, and Dunk had him completely and utterly. The other thing yeah. that I thought, which sort of went in Lee's favour, was that Mike Dean did his classic refereeing performance where he wanted to keep everybody on the pitch, and he wanted it to be he didn't want to antagonise the crowd. And there were some brutal tackles by Leeds, um, mm. including one that, that, you know, where he played an advantage and he just didn't go back and book the play. And I thought, you know, well, there, there was one experienced that... referee to not do that at that level in that sort of game was really pathetic, I thought. There was, one, there was one particular one, wasn't there? The, the junior Furpo tackle on, on Bissouma, um, where, where I believe the Brighton Twitter admin has been a little bit naughty. Um, if, if you if you look at the uh, Bissouma sort of um, stats that the Twitter put up, uh, you'll notice there is an errant foot in the picture of Bissouma um, uh, above his knee, studs connecting above the knee, and it was so cynical. And Furpo was on a, on a booking, I believe, and it it was the sort of thing. I think I turned to you in the match, and I was like, "That's got to be a red." That's one of the worst tackles, you know, it's almost Miguel Britos uh, against Knockout against Watford, that kind of bad. It was really reckless and it went to Hurt Bissouma, who just absolutely skinned him. And you can see why that Leeds team are the dirtiest team in Premier League history. Um, and I thought they were lucky not to get more cards on Sunday. Well, that's good to know because I, I, I missed that. I, I, I haven't seen any coverage of that at all. I don't even remember. Uh, the commentary, I listened to the second half on the way back from the aforementioned snag do. Um, I listened to the second half commentary on the, on the train and, um, I don't, I, I don't know if that was first or second half, but, um, whenever it happened, it, it didn't get much coverage as did the wig wearing. We'll probably get onto that later. Um, but in terms of the dirty leads, I mean, they really are living up to their name, aren't they? They had 97 bookings before the game started. They got the requisite three to get to the golden three figures, Mark. Um, they've already become, before that match, the the most booked team in Premier League era history. I don't know what the overall history stats are, but, uh, you know, it's probably dirty leads from the 60s or 70s, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's probably the challenge they're after to, to beat. But, they, yeah, they're a dirty team. They're cynical. From what I hear, Veltman had a lot of uh, treatment going his way. I don't know if you can verify that as well. And... And they are, they're a bit like that. And with Gerhardt as well, also, I think he's, he's a try-hard kind of player, but it, it did seem annoying that he plucked a bit of skin out of nowhere. And that we'll probably talk about it in a minute, the equaliser. But um, it looked like we should have been able to close that down a bit more as well. Uh, it did feel a bit half-hearted. Um, that was Cuckoo, the man, actually. Um, possibly that could have done a bit more, I guess. Yeah. He was worried about a possible penalty concession. Uh, there, was, there, was also, there was also a stoppage quite quite near to the end of the day, which which took the momentum out of yeah. you know Brighton's control. They there's sort of like there was a long stoppage, players went for drinks, you know, there, were two, mm. there was a head injury. I don't think it may have been Yeah. It was um, it was Feltman and, and Stroke and Jesse Marsh was able to uh, give another speech about yeah. Mahatma Gandhi and Rudyard <laughs> Kipling and, and and it did its work by the looks of things. 
Yeah, Hamad yeah. Ali, Mother Teresa, who's he's, he's been really going through the uh, through the quote book, hasn't he? Jake, Jake, Reese, Margaret. Oh my words! <laughs> you'll all be you'll all be fired get unless you get back to work. Back to the office, or you're fired. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. Yes. Well, anyway, yes. But but Graham, I mean, you said uh, I agree with you that that thing about letting the game run and, and playing the advantage. I think as long as there is a genuine level of advantage to to any of those decisions, I think that's fine. But yeah, you've got to you've got to pull it back, and you've still got to award Absolutely. the the, um, the the yellow card at the very least, if not foul. Absolutely. Obviously. And it, you know, you you get. You know, you get you get bad marks if you don't do that. You know, if you've been assessed. Um, no, I suppose he doesn't mind that, does he? He's retiring. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he's becoming an assessor. Um, and uh, yeah, VAR stroke assessor. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you, you do. You get marked down for for doing things like that. Mm. You know, brutal tackle, and you then forget all about it because you played an advantage, and then the team hasn't scored anyway or whatever. You know, then uh, it doesn't look good. It just doesn't look good. Um, no. Because, you know, if it was an advantage, it would be a clear yellow. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And uh, it's frustrating. And I don't feel we've had a fair share through the throughout the Premier League era. I don't think we've had our fair share on that. But I, I do think this is also something that's just a generic problem within the game anyway. Um, everyone's always moaning, aren't they? Every match, there's yeah. something to complain about. Yeah. And, and quite think, often with genuine reason. I think the Sanchez non-sending off would probably put us in a credit there, didn't it? Yeah, oh, against yes. Liverpool. Yeah. I mean, I oh, that was definitely a right. If there was a bizarre decision, it's got to be that one. You know, well, yeah. it's, uh, it's a goal anyway. I don't think I'll give a red card. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that, that doesn't make sense to me either. That was Dean as well, wasn't it? Why can't it was, be both? I think was it? it might have been. Yeah. Yeah, um, yes, I think it, was, it was actually. Yeah. Mm. So, so where we say the Amex, you've got um, the, the commentary gantry in front of us, and um, Jonathan Pierce was doing his match of the day commentary. I hope and, you're not heckling him, Jack. At least, uh, just me. Dad, Dad tells me to calm down. Going, come on, Jonathan, get <laughs> us on first. <laughs> no, he's a he's a Bristol City fan, I oh, think. But his, his son's the season ticket holders at the Albion because he lives mm. down uh, way, yeah. but. Um, I, I sort of passed him as I was leaving, and he said to uh, he said that it was one of the worst challenges he'd ever seen the the Sanchez and Luis Diaz, and the ref needs effing looking at himself. <laughs> I don't think so. Well, Palace fans keep keep accusing Jonathan Pierce of being biased towards us, which is oh. a bit bloody cheeky, really, because I think he is to, towards Palace as well. Ironically, in his commentaries, he's quite favourable to both. Because oh. I hey, think that's his, what the his wife won. is a Palace fan. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, but I, I, I mean, you can't say he's been favourable there, can you? The worst no. challenge ever. I mean, that's probably a bit harsh. Um, he, he must have seen the Schumacher scenario, surely. <laughs> yeah. He's well, of that generation. It wasn't too far off that, was it? It, was, uh... it wasn't too far <laughs> off. No, no, no. I mean, it's quite funny that he's been quite frank there. But uh, I mean, yeah, he should have gone on that on that occasion. However, you know. Um, we talk about injustices. Um, McTominay, you know, how, how many bookings should he have had in the game just last the other week? You know, it's um, absolutely it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. 
So back with part two, and we're, I'm with Jack and his dad, Graham, both of the Phillips variety. Um, welcome back, guys. Hope you're enjoying your, uh, your pod experience again. And um, Jack, you mentioned uh, your, your backstory when you came on before. Um, just remind us, you've found since when was it? Uh, since about the age of, well, since day one, really. Um, uh, Dad signed me up as a junior seagull on the day I was born. Um, and uh, and uh, I think I went to my first game just before my fourth birthday um, and a uh, two draw with Hull um, at Gillingham, I believe. Um, when, when, was the, when was that remind us, if you don't mind dating yourself? 1998, I think it would have been. Okay. End of the, yeah. or end of the 97, end of the 97, 98 season. Yeah. 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 Um, 98 or 7, yeah. And I remember watching, uh, I've got a really distinct memory of uh, Richie Barker doing a Cruyff turn and my mind being blown and thinking, that that's as good as Zidane. That's some of the best football I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> what, if I'd have known only, you know, the truth was that the Richie Barker wasn't that good. But, um, or the was, Pascal Gross was to come. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I was pretty sold from that day on. Um and, you know, when we got back to Brighton and, and the Whitbeam, we started going fairly regularly, um, especially to away games, um, because it was always a bit easier uh, from London. Um, and, uh, yeah, since then we, we started, uh, we got season tickets and first season the Amex and have missed very few games since then. Um, yeah, and, and why not? So much, so much to watch that's worthy. And uh, we mentioned the Man U game, obviously that in particular would have been mm-hmm. a delight. And you've just mentioned, so you're talking late 90s when you started going, like any kid growing up in any school, uh, particularly if you're not in the Brighton area and you're in London, you're in London at the time, aren't you, I presume? Yes, so, yes, North London. Um, yeah. You must have had a few Man United plastics surrounding oh. you. And it must have been hell growing up in a Manchester United era <laughs> as a Brighton fan. Um, how satisfying was last weekend, the well, weekend before last? Last weekend was, was stunning, I think, for the performance, but... but... Where we grew, where I grew up in in North London, it, it was all uh, Arsenal and Tottenham, uh, and it was you know especially in the kind of Wenger era, um, uh, everyone was an Arsenal fan, everyone was a Tottenham fan. So those two weekends in a row, previous to Man United, were were pretty fantastic. Um, all of my mates, and I, I mean it's like literally not one of them would talk to me. Um, I had, had a lovely moment where all of my Arsenal mates have stopped talking to me at you know, full time uh, after the, the Emirates game. And then a week later, they all started talking to me again. <laughs> and all my Tottenham supporters, they stopped talking to me. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it really was uh, Arsenal and Tottenham and not much else. Um, I think there was, there was, I was the only broken fan in my school of 1,200. Um, there was one Crystal Palace fan, about five Barnet fans, um, and, and maybe five Man United fans. Everyone else was Arsenal and Tottenham. So that was really special. But I think for me, you know, uh, it's always good to beat Man United, isn't it? And I think um, more, more so than that, that is probably the best Albion performance I've ever seen. And uh, I think it was, it was just so much fun. I've, I've, I've never watched us in the Premier League and thought, this is, you know, this isn't nerve-wracking or awful. This is, you know, this is just unbelievably joyous and, and nothing's going wrong. It's just, it's just annoying we didn't score more. That's, that's <laughs> not a bad problem to have, is no, it? Exactly. No, it's a real first world problem within football, that one. I yeah, I'll go back a couple. 
I don't know about the best Sorry, ambient performance, but I mean, surely nil nil at home with Workington. <laughs> must, must be one of the. It was a well thought out. Top five. That's top five. You know, who were the a top side in, in 1960. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I mean, they had, you know, Ken Furphy, the uh, ex Watford manager, or the now long dead Watford manager, I'm sure, was, you know, manager at the time. He was formidable. So. I don't know. Never mind this Potter nonsense. Yeah. yeah. Don't forget, they would go on to produce Glenn Murray working for them. So it's, uh, they can't have been that bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. No, it is a very satisfying result. Um, you talk about the cooling off period with your, um, Arsenal and Spurs mates, Jack. But, um, um, with Man United, it was the same with me. I've got quite a few, as I mentioned, quite a few Man United supporters I know in London. And they're good lads generally, but they, there was just no response apart from all but one of them for a whole week. It seems like a week is the decided cooling off period. The unsung, the unsaid cooling off period is about a week before people will talk to you again, which is great, isn't it? That, that shows yeah. it hurts nicely. Exactly, exactly. And, and it was sort of like perfect as well. We had, you know, that week after Arsenal where no one spoke to me and then we beat Tottenham almost exactly a week later and they were like, ah, oh, Brighton are great, you know. <laughs> it didn't, you might have beaten us, but you also did us a favour and then sort of you had about a week after the, um, a week and a half after the, the Tottenham game, you had Tottenham beating Arsenal and they were like, it's all fine, we're going to be champions. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, it, it, football is, is just uh, week by week really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, it, um, and we've, we're, we're nothing if not um, in favour of equality, really, at the Albion, aren't we? You know, we beat Spurs and Arsenal and Man United. Yeah. You know, we, we keep it even. We'll exactly. probably, probably be at West Ham as well at the weekend, you know, just in case West Ham have got aspirations amongst the yes. European places. You know, beat them all. So they, we've not, you know, we've not created an injustice between the games and it's up to up to themselves to get the points elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um Obviously, we would have loved speaking of Europe, not that we were realistically ever going to get into it, but mathematically it was still possible, wasn't it? We got the draw and, um, you know, it was, it was the same lineup as the last, the last match, this Leeds game. Sanchez in goal, Veltman, Dunk, Kukurea, with further forward March, Basuma, Caicedo, Trossard, uh, playing on the, seemingly playing on the left side, Grosh, McAllister and Welbeck. And I think it was the same bench as well. Certainly, if not the same, then very, very close to it. Um, we used the three subs as usual. And um, I mean, it was a typical kind of lineup for, for Graham under the current sort of uh, setup. He's using midfield as much as he can, and Wep is obviously still out. Um, and it, it seemed to work as a general setup. It was, as you said earlier, I think, Jack, um, it was about not taking the chances, and we could have been, I think it was you that said, could be 4 0 up um, at yeah. half time. Um, talk us through that first half because. Obviously, it started badly. They they won a corner very early on and looked a bit sparky. Um, they had a player, I, don't, I can't remember who it was, had a shot at goal and Liam Cooper saved it with his face. Uh, which Gerhard. Is, yeah, Gerhard, oh, yeah. Gerhard that yeah. had that shot, yeah, yeah. And, and Cooper Cooper cleared it admirably. The goal commentator thought it <laughs> yeah. came off the woodwork, so solid a touch <laughs> off his face it was. Um, that, that was obviously a bit fortuitous, very early doors. Um, although we've had a very similar, I can't remember who it was, there was something similar, wasn't there, about a year ago that we did. Mm exactly the same thing um but after that we, we we got into the game did pretty well would you would you say that um overall that was a great performance in the first half and what what particularly stood out for you um yeah so i mean i think uh that there was a, a very unpotter like thing you know i think we've been quite brilliant at 
kind of stretching and creating a really wide space that we play in and, and pulling the play from one side to the other. Uh, and Leeds played three at the back to kind of like try and counter that. And their centre-backs just kind of disappeared and, and we kept on getting the ball in the middle and then suddenly seeing whether it's Solly March or Welbeck or, um, or Pascal Gross McAllister, they were just able to wander through the middle. And, and I think we created two or three chances quite early on where there was just so much space in that Leeds back line um, that, that really, especially the Solly, Solly March chance where they, they just lost him completely. Um, and then from the angle we were kind of at, it, it did look a bit like Moses parting the Red Seas. Um, it, it was sort of unbelievable at how much space he found. We, I sort of wasn't really that bothered by it because I just presumed it was offside. Everyone had sort of stopped so completely. Um, and, and unfortunately, it was almost exactly the same place where, where he scored um, when we beat Leeds at Ellen Road with Bobby Zamora scoring in the last minute. Um, but he didn't quite have the composure um, and, and dragged it wide, which is a real shame. Um, but we had lots of chances like that. And we were, you know, quite uh, good at kind of uh, being flexible around Leeds' flaws and, and taking advantage of them, which, you know, I, I think we've played wonderful football under Potter, but I, I wouldn't say that that is always something that we do. We, we're not always kind of um, very good at being like, oh, well, they're leaving a huge gap there. We're going to go into that gap and, and uh, just just play a different style, let's say. Um, but we, I thought we did that really well. I also thought, you know, um, Basuma ran most of the game, but especially in that first half, it was it was ludicrous how much better he was than pretty much anyone on the pitch, um, especially for the first goal. Um, you know, Interception and the ball forward. Beautiful. A- absolutely. And I, I think it, it didn't quite, it sort of, the way it looked on match of the day was that, you know, it, it was a bit of a Leeds chance. And I remember, you know, live, thinking, well, the sumo will win this ball back, even though there was about five yards for him to make up. I thought, you know, he's, they're not going to get a shot away here because the sumo's that good and he really was in his kind of swagger and and I think, you know, uh, at his usual best, really. Um, and then a wonderful assist and, and a lovely little step over and chip by Welbeck for the goal. But, yeah, I thought we were we were really dominant and really clever in our play and um, you know let them take a lot of long shots which is is another reason why I think um, Sanchez made some very good saves um, is is we kind of allowed them to shoot from outside the area quite a lot Um, but we we didn't really allow them to get deep into the area apart from the goal Um, and and really we we stopped them from creating anything meaningful even though they were kind of playing this desperate uh, shoot, 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 we've got to score a goal kind of football. It was fascinating to watch. Sorry, sorry. sorry I was just going to say, they also yeah, put the ball forward a lot. You know, it was a long mm. ball game to play. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, it's a sign of a relegated team, isn't it, I think. I, if they do stay up, I think it would be extraordinary. It would mean the failure of Burnley and Everton, really, rather than Leeds being any good. Because I think, you know, if you get that many bookings and, and you cr- commit that many fouls and you play the offside track so badly uh, and you're that desperate to get points and you, you continue to do that and then you pump the ball forward, um, you're, you're, you're lucky to get away with the draw, I think, at the end of the day. And I, I just don't understand still how we miss so many chances. Well, I do understand because that's what we do. But, you know, we, they were there for the taking. 
I, yeah. I think it shows, you know, Leeds conceded one less goal than Norwich this season. And we look at Norwich as you know, rubbish and, and eminently beatable by every other team in the league, right? And 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 I know they've tightened up a little bit uh, under Smith, but they're still, you know, Grant Handley is very much there to be beaten. Um, he's, not, and, he's not Premier League at oh, all, God, is he? He's not. Um, and, you know, Leeds have only conceded one less goal. They've conceded 78 goals this season. That's, that's two goals a game. Um, and it should and, be more after, the, after and, Sunday as well. And it should be more. And I think, you know, it shows that actually there were goals in that game for us. Mm. There were great, quite easy chances. Um, and with a little bit more composure... I think I think Leeds would have really struggled to to come away with that with anything, um, even their pride. Yeah, I was gonna, just going to say just before Graham came in there. Um, actually, it's, you, you kind of verified my point really about the long balls. Um, it was interesting because I was coming back from this stag. Ironically, we were in Brighton while everything was going on in in Leeds. Um, I did bump into my old mate Bradders on the Saturday, who was going up to the game. So uh, big up to him if he's listening. But anyway, um, yeah, it was interesting because I was listening to the first. I'm oh, sorry, listening to the second half in commentary on the train. But I was largely underground and doing other stuff um, in the first half. So I was following just with incidental up- updates on stats for the first half. And the first half seemed to be. That it seemed pretty even from the way that the stats were presented, apart from the fact that obviously we had the goal. Um, uh, but it also noted that they had a really heavy long ball element to their game that was unsuccessful. I think it was one successful pass from seven or eight when I looked at it. Mm. Um, so I happened to notice that particular stat and the fact that the general pass completion wasn't great, which meant that we were pretty much dragged down to their level in that regard. I think they were in the 60s and 70 percentage sort of area which is not great for us um partly that could be to do with the high press or whatever i don't know you guys will be able to tell me more than i'll, I'll be able to know about that but um yeah it was interesting that following the game with stats is different to the impression i was then told about during the second half in the commentary about the first half it seemed that we were far more dominant than the mm. stats would show so once again beware of the stats I think I think what was very clear was that Leeds had one player who was a class above the rest of the team in Rafinha, right? And yeah. he, they've been playing a defence a lot recently. Yes, bizarrely. Like but but they um they clearly had decided that their best chance of of, of scoring and, and creating problems for Brighton was uh to pump the ball over our smallest player, Cucurella. Um, to Rafinha and and give a kind of get Phillips to kind of play these quarterback type passes and you know, go, go full American football for Jesse Marsh um, and they weren't very good at it that was the kind of thing is that yes they, they had the chances to break and they tried to move the pitch very quickly but a, a lot of those passes were cut out and, and Rafinha didn't really see much of the ball in the first half um, Despite his his anger at that, let's just say, yeah. And and uh, Calvin Phillips, of course, has missed. I think a lot of the uh, is it both of the oh sorry two or three of the previous three games we played against them. Mm. I think for one reason or another he's been out. I think he had an injury one time. He had a, a one match ban another time or something like that. Um, this is I think it's the only time, or it's certainly no more than the second time that he's played against us. And this is under a different manager from the other times where mm. he was known to be more effective. So I wonder if that plays a part. Um, but nonetheless, they still couldn't get the result against us. Um, 
And apart from the goal, which we've already described, which was in the 21st minute, well back from a Basuma pass, um, it was kind of, it seemed like a dominant performance from what I was hearing. And um, yeah, it, it is interesting the way the, the game's painted when you, you, you follow the first half with stats, the second half with an audio commentary, which is always agony, especially when it ends <laughs> up with the home team piling on the pressure, which is far worse on radio, I have to say. Um, but also then watching the match of the day highlights, which I thought seemed to paint more of an even picture. They seemed to be showing more of the chances that Leeds presented. I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you guys, Graham, can you sort of paint any more light in terms of the balance of the game? Would you say that match of the day represented it fairly? I don't know if you've seen that back or not. Well, I, well, I guess it's all that yeah, I have. And it's always a, a difficulty when you're trying to consolidate what was quite a full-on incident game into yeah. seven minutes, maybe, if you're lucky. Um, I thought that there were a few things that went missing. Trossard's great chance where he dallied and dallied and dallied and should smack the ball past Melier, but I don't think that was shown. I can't remember seeing that. Um, I all the, the foul on Basuma, which was very, very late and potentially reckless, uh, could have been red, probably wasn't at the end of the day, but wouldn't would definitely Um, you know, those sort of things were missing. Um they uh they would have shown it leaves in a different light, I guess. You're not gonna show on highlights how many times Leeds lost the ball, how many times they put the ball straight out of touch. There was a moment for me in the second half, probably fairly near the end, when Phillips got the ball in his own half and he played a long ball and it went out for a goal kick up the other end and there wasn't a Leeds player anywhere near the park. And it was so poor uh, and so, you know, tired and and out of form um, Mm. that you just didn't really think Leeds had it in them. And I think that, um, you know, again, uh, highlights never show how much a team plays for free kicks and corners. Leeds needed the stoppages and they needed to pile big guys up from the back to put pressure on Brighton in defence, you know. Uh, and there's a sort of an irony as well that Webster is on and we, we let on an equaliser. Um, you know, when we only had Dunk as the, and you could argue both as the real sort of tall, dominant players, they were under under no trouble at all. You know, in no trouble really. So, uh, th- so that's my take, really. I think on that. Hmm. Do you think there's anything we should have done differently in this game, apart from obviously finishing better? But in terms of st- strategy and Graham's uh, lineup um, or changes that he made, um, is there anything you think could have been done? Uh, to better effect, because we used the three subs, didn't we? Um, we've had, let's have a look at it. Oh, where's it gone? Um, we've had, um, yeah, Lallana came on on 74 for Caicedo. Lamptey came on for Trossard late in the game on 87. And Trossard, I don't think, had a very good game, did he, overall? Webster had come on earlier, though, in 62 yeah. minutes yeah. of March, which is yeah. which sort of strikes me as a bit of a slight change-up in, yeah. in what we I had on the field that, there. That, was, that, that would resemble, that probably was part of thinking that Leeds are going to pile lots of long high balls. Yeah, just what you're talking about with the set pieces. Yeah. Try to, you know, pressure us there. Let's put, yeah, let's put, let's go to the back four. Um, I felt that, and I, I, I wasn't sure about why Casido went off, but I now know, I think, yeah. that he was, A, he was on a booking, 
and B, he was knackered, I think. And he um he was injured. He um had a slight back put, injury. I'd have put Lalana on instead of him, but I can understand why maybe you'd want somebody who would stop the ball and you know calm everyone down because Leeds were you know desperate by then. Uh, yeah. But it didn't work really for me. That I think we got lost and. Um, Lamptey could have gone on earlier and given Furpo a really bad time like he did at uh, the MX. I, I just, by the time Lamptey came on, I think Furpo was substituted, I think. I think. Yeah, well, that, that changed the game for me, I think. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, later found out Caicedo had been nursing a slight back injury and they decided that they weren't going to risk him getting further injured. Um, and that was the reason he came on. Um, but I think the, the change for me that, I understand why it happened, but actually, I, I think it's one of the things that contributed to the goal was, was Lamptey coming off, coming on even, um, and Furpo coming off for, for Strauch, right? In that Furpo's not very good, and Strauch's really big, and Lamptey's good, but he's very small. And, and I think for that goal at the back post, um, watching it back, that there was clearly a disparity between, you know, Lamptey's ability to get up against Strauch and, uh, on the run back. Um, but you can't plan individual moments. And actually, there was a wonderful point where Lamptey looked like he had completely done Cooper, didn't he? He had about 10 yards to catch up with Cooper and the ball be blasted yes. forward. And he beat him and the bounce was slightly wrong and it came up and hit his arm and it's, it's yeah. given him a free kick. Yeah. But... That was also not shown on match of the day, which was yeah. you know, the, the breakaway that, that Lamptey had where he was just so far behind Cooper and then caught him up. Yeah. And then oh. hand, yeah. There was also, I, I think, what the stats and, and the highlights don't really show is, is there was a point towards the end of the game where, you know, we'd weathered this storm and we were, we were uh, Leeds were really desperate and, and throwing everything at it. And we kept the ball for about four minutes. Um, and uh, it, it tore the crowd apart. It silenced the crowd. It was, you know, something that I don't think we do enough as, as, a, as a team at the moment where... We just didn't lose the ball for about four minutes and we, we kept it and passed it around and then had a really good chance at the end um, that we didn't score. But it was one of those things where, you know, I, I would never uh, normally say that I feel sorry for a Leeds fan, but I looked at the Leeds end and you could see the, uh, the disappointment in those faces that actually they were not good enough in that moment to even compete with us when we were kind of taking the mick a bit and... Um, you know, controlling the game completely. Um, but then I, I think, you know, they managed to get a claw back into the game and and we were pushed back very deep for the only time in the game, really, in those two minutes. Um, and and actually, we probably needed to deal with that a bit better. Um, but it, it was a great bit of skill by Gail Hart and someone probably needed to be marking stroke a bit closer. But, you know, that's that's... The toss of a coin, really, isn't it? Well, the, the entire team ran to the, the near post, didn't they? As the way I, I yes, the entire our entire eleven were all at the near post. <laughs> yeah, Lamptey at the back, yeah, trying to, to beat somebody six foot five. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, not ideal. <laughs> uh, gutting, but nonetheless, I mean, you mentioned the four minute thing. I mean, that's a hell of a long time to retain the possession. Mm. When they talk about the, the games actually in play for probably something in the 60 minute mark somewhere, 60, I think the average is 65 minutes or something, you know, f- for four minutes of your 65 to be in our possessions, passing around, if that's what that was, 
um, you know, that must have been frustrating. And it's great to know that they were thinking how much of a class above we were. <laughs> it was I'd say. Awesome, wasn't it? Really, you know, a quite magnificent moment where, uh, you know, I even felt a bit bad after the third minute of going away. Um, you know, I was, <laughs> I was a bit like, oh, this, this could go on for ages. <laughs> yeah, and of course we were doing that against United as well. Mm. Uh, talking about crowds kind of influence on, on, on things, you've, you've alluded to some of it to do with Leeds. What was your overall experience of the uh, of it as a fan um, in terms of pre, during and post-match. Um, obviously, Kukurea wigs were predominant. I'm hearing something like 25% of people seem to have been wearing them, uh, well, wearing versions of them. <laughs> I would say um, one or two of them actually look rel- relatively like Kukurea's hair. The rest didn't. We've seen King Charles II. We've seen Brian May, James May, Maggie May, probably. We saw everything except... Um, Except probably um, Ahmed, friend of the show, had a, a wig which was the only one I've seen which looks looks properly like it actually could belong to Kukurea. Um So, so tell me about Wig Gate, whatever you want to call it, and um, the general fan experience, your day out or your weekend out, whatever it was. How was it for you? Did was, you get any bricks thrown at you? Um, no bricks thrown at me. Um, I was very Charles the Second. Um, <laughs> uh, Dad's Dad's wig was was a bit shorter. Um, is a, a, a sort of 80s caricature of a scouser, really. <laughs> it's all I had. All I <laughs> but no, it, it was good. And I, I actually thought the atmosphere in the, the Brighton end was was great. Um, uh, as good as it's been, I think, away this season. I thought it was really fun. Um, I thought the Leeds fans were generally okay. Um, there were a few very disappointing homophobic chants. Um it's it's the first time I think in my life I've heard the word queer used as a derogatory term and not in a kind of academic um, reclaimed sense. But I oh, think, okay. um, yeah, a, a town full of queers, that's not something you really hear uh, very often. It also days. doesn't scan with the song, does it? No, it, it didn't sound great, but it was a large amount of them singing it, which was disappointing. Um, and, you know, there was some, uh, you know, Slightly aggro people in front of us that um, were pretty pathetic. Uh, there was one, one person who seemed to not watch any of the game, was wearing an England shirt, and, <laughs> and of course he was. Was trying to make eye contact with everyone. You just thought, what, what a weird man. But um, the yeah, I, I thought it was, it was really fun, you know, and, and actually, uh, like Dad said, the Leeds fans they are really committed, and um, there was. You know, the noise when the goal went in was uh, huge, and we—it was very disappointing. Um, but but it was—it's uh, it, one of the great old grounds. It does need updating a bit, though. It's uh, it needs a, a lot of work doing to it. It's a bit like um, a few seasons ago, I went to Goodison for the first time, and I thought, you know, it's great that this is so historic, but it really needs moving into the twenty-first century. It wouldn't cost that much. Exactly, it's, it's watching letterbox form. Yes, it's a bit QPR-like, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. You know, a bit cramped, and you know, a lot of corrugated tin and tiny, you know, sort of concourses and mm. stairs yeah. leading to doors that they never opened at the end. <laughs> uh, car- carpeted concourse as well. Carpeted, that was bizarre. Yes. That was really bizarre. Uh, 
with Sticky those, those uh, polystyrene tile ceiling with an occasional oh, lovely. light with flies in them. With, with a neon light, yeah. <laughs> strip light. Yeah. Um, yeah, they need to do something about that. They, uh, I have to say, we weren't brave enough to wear our wigs from the car where we parked quite a way away uh, hmm. to the ground and back again. That would have been a bit of a yes. day, even though you know, Jack wasn't brave enough to wear any colours at all. Uh, I had a scarf and I put it in the bag with the weeks, you know. So yeah. we were we were pretty pathetic, really, when it comes. Yeah. To well, to, yeah. it's not worth the risk, really. There's a lot of idiots there, I'm afraid. Yeah. My only experiences of Leeds have been, uh, well, sorry, there's been bad experiences every time we've gone to Leeds. Um, I haven't been for quite a while actually, um, since they moved the position to where they are mm. now. Yeah. I was in the cheese grate last time I went, um, but I know they they had Leeds fans in front of the away end. Um, which I think was to do with the fact we took up a smaller allocation, so normally that wouldn't be the case. But nonetheless, it's um, it's one of those grounds you just got to be sensible, really. I, I took a friend who's um, a black guy, and he was racially abused from a distance. But right. you know, there was that. We've heard the thing about the brick this time. There's always some some hassle somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just thoroughly unpleasant, really, as a as a general collective. Even though obviously plenty of nice individuals, um, but uh, but amongst them a whole load that aren't. Um, but it's great to know that we uh, we didn't get beaten by them because that would have just been intolerable. <laughs> I've yes. got to say, no, um, there are there are certain teams that just can't really beat us very often, aren't there? There's mm. you know, West Ham, Wolves, and Leeds. I, I sort of count as those three teams that just don't like playing us at all. You know, they they don't don't. I mean. Maybe Brentford would be like that now, but I, I don't seem to remember Brentford. Uh, we've, we've had bad times at Brentford, and, mm. and, you know, I think. But it, it, Wolves, Leeds, and it, you know, it goes back quite a long way. You know, the Leeds didn't play very well necessarily against us in the old first division. And um, I think they've, they've picked up a few points here and there since, but... Uh, Maybe it would be, and they once mm. quite well, I think, but they don't generally do very well against us, you know. No, I mean, we saw Guy Butters score, it, yeah, we it? did. Well, that was the last time we went, wasn't yeah. it? Speaking, speaking of crowds, yeah, uh, <laughs> we, we, we haven't been that day either. No, and, and we yeah. left the ground, didn't we? And uh, a fully grown man pushed me over with his two kids in tow. Um, I was eight at the time, yeah. um, Definitely. and a proud and, day for that family. Yeah, I'm sure. absolutely yeah. bizarre. But I do remember seeing, you know, big old Guy Butters rising at corner and, and heading home. Uh, um, a one 0 win, I think it was. Um, Two hundred quid on that. That was great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but we we do do well against Leeds. I mean, you've got the, the Zamora late winner. Um, we beat them at Ellen Road last year. You've got at the Amex that that great uh, Sol Bamba having a horror show, and then you've also got. <laughs> Calvin Phillips punching it off the line, didn't yeah. he? Got sent off. Um, they've always struggled against us. Further back, Al Hajj Youth getting sent Al-Hajj off. Al Youth, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He, I think he gestured to us. We wound him up with the song, and then he yeah. did something to get sent off, didn't he, or something like he that? Spit at the crowd or something awful. Like oh that. yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Marvelous. Yeah. Yep. yeah. 
all good. Speaking of wind-ups and people getting annoyed with each other, a, a real shithouse player, of course, is Neil Morpay, who's not been featuring recently. Two things to mention about him. First of all, having chatted with Billy DeBee, the Brentford fan and podcaster, he was describing how Morpay, when he was playing for Brentford, was always winding up leads. He would seem to always mm. score against them, particularly away. And then he'd just go straight to the home end and put his arms out and just, <laughs> just stand there. Winding them up. And when we scored against them last season under lockdown at Ellen Road, he did the same thing despite the fact there was no <laughs> crowd there, which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, it's a shame he didn't get to, uh, mm. to at least agitate them. Although apparently there was a bit of an exchange between him and some fans I, I was hearing. I'm not sure if that's uh, the case mm. or not. I think at some point I just heard this through a Leeds podcast I was listening to. So that's interesting. Well, of course, Neil Morpay didn't feature at all. You've probably heard there was a bit of fuss about him. I was listening to the commentary, as I mentioned. Warren Aspinall, who seems to have a bit of a bee in his bonnet about uh, Neil Morpay and his um, potential attitude or whatever he he perceives it to be, um, described him as having walked down the tunnel. I think it was shortly after the last sub was made, therefore proving he wasn't going to be on the pitch. And he'd apparently stormed down the tunnel... And according to the commentary, he didn't resurface. Really I've sub- subsequently heard, and you can probably verify that he did apparently come back out. He was doing warm downs. He was waving to the crowd and he seemed completely fine. Yeah. So, I mean, is that the case, first of all? And did you see him walk down the tunnel or was this a mistaken identity or what, what the hell so happened there? I did see him walk down the tunnel, but um, I've got a friend who was in the press conference with um, Graham Potter after and uh, he, he needed the loo, apparently. Um, so what, so, I wondered if that so, so he, Potter said, you know, I'd made the final substitution. Neil knew he wasn't getting on, and, and he, he needed the lose, so he decided that was the right time to do it. Um, I mean, he he clapped the away fans. I think it was very weird the end of the game, wasn't it? In that you know there was this the Brown post disappointed, the Leeds players all collapsed to the turf, and there was this kind of raucous atmosphere. And of course, we were not by the pitch, so the Brighton players sort of went over to the away fans um, and then decided they weren't going to get too close um, because the Leeds fans were sort of on the edge of the barriers um, all around the pitch. And they sort of were quite quick to come off. And I think rightfully um, there was a bit of a a fear from where we were sat um, that actually the Leeds fans might go onto the pitch. Uh, the, the stewards had to hold quite a few people back at full time. Um, and I think, you know, from what I saw, the majority of players went over, clapped, and then quickly got out there and ran down the tunnel. Um, but, but I, I mean, I think there is a bit of a, an agenda against our Neil. And, um, you know, I've, I've heard that, that he's just a very sort of quiet guy who thinks a lot and really wants to do well. And, um you know, he's probably quite disappointed he's not starting these games and especially against Leeds where he seems to score for fun. Um, yeah, it's a shame you couldn't have got him out in the yeah. last 10 minutes in Italy. Yeah, I, I think I would have liked to have seen him come on and just to, to wind up the Leeds fans but they were 1-0 down. Um, but yeah, I mean, supposedly he just needed the loo and, and you know, when nature calls, you can't blame someone for that. <laughs> I, I think that, I think Mopo was a bit unlucky not to come on, but I think that's probably indicative of the fact that Welbeck was playing really well. You know, even in the second half, he was he was keeping the ball well. Um, you know, he, he occasionally sort of missed, missed a chance to track back, but nothing more 
than Neil Mopay would have done, I don't think. Mm. Of course, he had that great chance to win it, so uh, to, to win it, uh, to make it 2-0. Mm. And would Mopay have been there? Hmm, don't know, probably not. Um, you know, who knows? But um, Welbeck's presence, I think, throughout the game was, was a, a problem for Leeds, particularly for Lorente, who was struggling with yeah. Lorento really struggled. Um, I think you see it in the goal, but actually there were points where Welbeck had his back to goal and was holding the ball up and was able to turn out of it and pass it forward. Um, it was really, really, you know, he's, I thought this season might be a step too far for, for Welbeck at the start of the season and I'm very happy that I'm completely wrong. He's been fantastic and continue to prove it. It seems the, um, the operation that he's done the operations that he's done have, have actually resolved the issues. It's too early to say for sure, but there's certainly a greater degree of consistency with his ability to appear for the, in the team. And I know we've still managed his time a, a little bit. Probably that's out of caution more than anything. But um, that is quite encouraging. And I do think, you know, now, as, as it stands, I'd quite happily see him have another year um, because I think he's added something. He's offered an alternative uh, to what we've had beforehand. And... I think he's um, he certainly is a squad player who will have a part to play, if not a big one. I think I'd certainly have him in for next season. Um, and it seems I think we have got an option, haven't we, on him as well, or or there's a, or a deal has been struck or something yes. like that. Yes, I think the club and the player have like a mutual option from what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. But, but it sounds like it's done. Um, yeah. It just hasn't been announced. I think hmm. uh, if he's uh, able to train week in week out. Uh, that's fantastic because that must mean it's a success because it always intrigues me when you hear about professional footballers who don't have to train. I think Ledley mm. King was like that, where yeah. it was so important to Tottenham that if they put him, if he went into training, he might break down. So let him break down in a game. But you know, how as a professional can you do that? Can you can you not turn up the training? I believe Steve Foster was like that. Too. Aston Villa, which didn't go so well. Yeah. Um, latterly, well, latterly speaking, Glenn Murray, I think as well. That's yeah. obviously managing an age, yeah. sort of depreciation element. But um, but yeah, yeah I mean, it, yeah, yeah. Just just come in on the Friday then, Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not a bad way to go, is it? We're still no, on the same exactly wages. What you've got to do. You <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm on Sky Sports on Thursday night. Do I have to come in on the Friday? <laughs> yeah. uh, as well, Danny Welbeck worth it for his his wonderful. Uh, a picture with Lamptey and his comment uh, underneath yeah. it. But, yeah. I mean, that's brilliant because I didn't know about that until he told us. And um, yeah, the, I, I mentioned it to the wife and then obviously I, I showed the pictures that were all going up on social media. She's going, no, that's a generic celebration. That's that's just a coincidence with the colours. And I'm glad you've, you've said that because that, I, can, uh, I can now tell us. Yeah, right. it's, um, <laughs> it's a, a little bit of insight. It? Him and the kit man are really get on well and they plan them together. Well, Danny, well, Danny Welbeck and the Kitman. Danny Welbeck and the Kitman. They, they've yeah. struck up quite a nice relationship, <laughs> apparently, and, and they they uh, plan them out together. Um, but but I, I do have a good authority that he got a bit carried away at the Chelsea uh, yeah, and, and forgot to do the drop <laughs> celebration. <laughs> well, he's still got time to do it now, hopefully. You know, maybe, maybe on on uh, Sunday. Um, I don't know if we're going to see the Glenn Murray celebration as well with the... Yeah, I'd like to say that. Who knows? Speaking of speaking of Glenn, um, but I mean, yeah. So we're coming towards the end of it. Just to round up, then. So any any further thoughts on Leeds, and would you have a man of the match, or any other um, observations from the game, or post match, or anything else? I thought Dunk was superb. Um, I thought he was, you know, really outstanding. He didn't really get 
much spoken about him online, but but he you know, so much better than the defender, I think, on the pitch. Um, but but Bissouma, it was you know up there with like I said earlier with, with one of his best Brighton performances. I think it was just Bissouma at his most fun, you know, where he like wins yeah. every tackle, where he gets the ball and looks up and just drives ahead and and. I'm fully expecting us to uh, to lose him this summer, but but what a fantastic thing it is to have a player like that. Absolutely, and and Graham, would you go along with that? And any other? Yeah, I think I think Basuma was fantastic, really. Casido as well. Mm -hmm. They're just wonderful together. I mean, I I think that's been the the revelation. I think that probably people knew about or they thought maybe might happen, but to see it actually. In action to see those two together is just wonderful. I mean, it's a, a shame team. to think they might be broken up. I know. Isn't it? I yeah. just, yeah, what a team we could be with those two next season. Uh, mm. A few additions. Mm. The, the other thing that the other thing that Pascal Gross was wonderful, I thought, against Man United, absolutely wonderful, but not so good against Leeds. A bit back to his sort of occasionally. Fine, clever, on the ball, and then missing again a few times, you know. Um, and that's a bit of a shame, I think, because you'd want you'd want someone to take that momentum through to the next game. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh on there, but um, I, I think especially in the second half. Thing, yeah, I'd say the same thing about Trossard as well, who I thought was fantastic against United, Man United, but against Leeds was, you know. Had moments, but then faded really badly in the second half. Was you know out of the game. And then I asked, did King Charles II and um, and Terry McDermott get safely back to the car after the game? Yes, we did yes. very very quickly, and, yeah. and then yeah. quickly quickly left Leeds and yeah. had a nice nice dinner yeah. at home. <laughs> Put our miserable face on, you know, that you you learn to do as an away fan, where you yeah, not very happy about. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, and I did my pathetically bad Yorkshire as well. <laughs> oh, no. That's not good. If that goes wrong, that's really well, yeah, If it does go wrong, that's right. But I don't do it too close to people. I just do it so, you know, they might just hear it from a distance and think, well, he's not as sudden as he, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's one of those things, though, about, like, the glum faces. We weren't quite sure whether to be to appear happy or sad, you know, that yeah. that we were looking yeah. around, some Leeds fans were going, What a great, what a great result from the jaws of um defeat. Yeah. And others were going, We're going down the Sokoka. Yeah. Do we do happy? Do we do yeah. sad? What do we do? <laughs> no emotion, no emotion whatsoever. <laughs> the other problem that I, I've had all weekend really, uh, since Sunday's I can't get that song out of my head. It's oh, terrible marching on together. I can't get it out of my head. I keep thinking about it. It's well, it just seems going down together. Uh, that, that's yeah. right, yeah. But I, it's just driving me mad. I, I, I actually hate it as well. It's a bit like, I think it's something to do with, it's like the Eurovision Song Contest entry, isn't it? <laughs> it's like boom, bang, a bang, isn't it? Or puppet on a string. Yeah, got that same bum part. It's, it is a bit um, save all your kisses for me, amalgamation of those three. It was, of course, the Eurovision Song Contest of the weekend. But you've you've very nicely set up a segue here, uh, Graham, because um, of course, um, 
I was down in Brighton for the Stag Do for the weekend. Brighton itself hosted the um, 1974 Eurovision. Yeah. I've got no interest in Eurovision, by the way, but um, but I do know it hosted the 74 one where ABBA won it with Waterloo. And of course, another ABBA song is um, doing the rounds in the terraces at Albion Games uh, now, or just started to. The Caicedo song, were you, were you singing that? Have you caught the lyrics? You know what it's I, about? I was singing it. Uh, it I it is quite the, the aha bits are quite yeah, think, like breathy. You, you need a backing singer. Other people to do the aha. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's if you I do think. all the parts, you start to realise Abba are actually a four-piece band, and <laughs> and it's really difficult to sing four parts at once. Um, so yeah, there was that. I, I think um, you know there was uh, uh, leads are going down chant that. That was done very specifically. That was quite a lot think, of fun. I think the best one was a really clever one. Was Premiership? We'll see you in twenty. Years. Oh yeah, you'll be back in, 20, be back years. in twenty years. The Brighton oh, fans right. sung to the least, <laughs> <laughs> to which a lot of the Leeds fans laughed and applauded. Yeah. They they quite liked that. Um, it, you know, the whole Brighton going, "You'll be back in twenty years." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love that. That's great. Well, at least there's some favourable reports from Leeds fans, not the brick incident, of course. And just, mm-hmm. just finally, just round off a couple of bits. We'll cover most of um, other football news actually on our next podcast. So the summary of what's going on with the playoffs and everything else, we'll wait for more stuff to transpire before we get into summarising what's gone on there. But just in terms of the weekend, um, some of the fans that we're not very keen on have not covered themselves in any glory again at the weekend. Burnley fans doing Nazi salutes to Spurs fans um, was not particularly pleasant. Um, there were Everton fans, well, I think actually it was one Everton fan, uh, racially abusing two sets of uh, players' families, namely Ivan Tony's and Rico Henry's, which is an absolute disgrace. The culprit, I think, I think has been um, identified and they're taking action. Um, and I was hearing widespread reports of really disgusting behaviour by Chelsea fans singing stuff about Hillsborough, uh, murderers and Heysel and stuff like that. And there's uh, some pretty unsavoury scenes. You don't like to see any of that, but we've got to highlight it on the show because I do like to rant about poor behaviour by fans. And, you know, nobody's squeaky clean in terms of fan bases but overall, but it does seem to be some of the same names that keep popping up, doesn't it? You've mentioned Leeds earlier, Jack, with the homophobia. I'm not in the least bit surprised to hear it, to be honest. Um, I didn't hear any of it, so I was slightly surprised in that sense, but not really a surprise. One thing I do want to mention from the news this week is that uh, I think it's Jake Daniels from Blackpool has come out as the first professional footballer to do so in the UK since uh, Justin Fashnu. But I'm not sure even if he was in the UK when he came out. I'm not quite sure on that, Justin Fashnu. It was a long time ago, in I think it was 1990, and certainly for generations now. There hasn't been anyone. There's been a big cry. There's been a big call for someone to do it. There's been rumours of someone online who is shaping up to do it. There may have been a hoax. We're not sure. Finally, somebody has come out in the UK and done it. He's only a 17-year-old lad. What I didn't realise as well, probably I was more surprised by, was the fact he scored 30 goals this season in his first season. I don't know how I've not picked up on that. That's a hell of a lot of goals to score. Wasn't it in Blackpool, Blackpool's youth team? He scored yeah. 30 goals. And, oh, was but, it in the youth but, team? But oh, he made, he's yeah. made his debut um, for the for the first team and signed professional terms. So I think, yeah. I think it sounds like he's got a bit of a future in the game. Yeah. But it's, it's fantastic, you know. Um, it's it's really wonderful for him. And, uh, you know, it, the more players who, who do come out, and, and I have no doubt that there are more than just uh, one player in the UK um, yeah. who, who is gay. The more players who do come out and feel comfortable coming out, um, 
the more that perception will start to change and, and be normalised and start to change on the terraces. And, and that's that's what we want. Absolutely. And Graham, I think what he said was also that, uh, you know, he was hoping this would be a stepping stone to a Premier League player now coming out, whether that will be directly or through another couple of EFL players, who knows? Um, you know, any of that would be great, wouldn't it? But um, he, what's your thoughts on it? Because he he was saying he, he struggled with his mental health, as anyone would do, than not, yeah. not being able to reveal the true self, etc. But it's been welcomed by the club, who've apparently been very supportive, all the teammates, particularly the captain, and good words of support from the EFL, from the PFA and from the FA. Um, it's all great, isn't it? It's all, it's all really positive stuff. Yeah, it is, absolutely. And I'm very courageous. And I think the, and, and pretty good, really. Blackpool have done particularly well there as well. Yeah. Um, I can think of a few clubs that I might probably uh, think that would keep things under wraps. Um, mm. And I can think of a few fan bases that wouldn't be very nice either. But, yeah. hey, you know, it wouldn't be ours, would it? Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I also want to say, you know, uh, it's quite fun to bash Stonewall these days and, on, on places on the internet. And I think, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, you know, really fantastic work that they've done with Blackpool on this to help support the pathway towards this moment. Um, and I think the Blackpool's a club to go out to Stonewall and, and get that kind of expertise and, and not just try to handle it themselves. It shows a real kind of maturity that you don't often see in football. So, you know, I, I think that's really fantastic. It's fantastic the work and that they've done on this. The fact he's 17, I totally agree with you. And the fact he's 17 is interesting in two um, measures. First of all, that at that young age, you know, maybe a, a more wizened head coming out might have been the one I would have expected. So it's kind of a younger than I thought it would be is one, one point of note. But also the fact that he is quite literally is in his first season getting into the professional ranks. So he has got literally his full career to go through with this now out rather than maybe, I mean, he was considering whether he got to the end of his career and then came out or whether he'd get most of the way through and then do it. But he's doing it right at the beginning. So, you know, he's, he's making an early call that's going to sit with him for the whole of his career. And I really, really hope that it is for the benefit. He said he's not going to be too fussed about what sort of abuse will come his way. And hopefully, you know, he can take any of that does in his stride and hopefully he'll get as much support as possible to soften that if that does happen but yeah I think Blackpool was a, a great club from everything I've heard from the interviews they've you know they've they've welcomed embraced it uh, just asked what more can we can we do what, what, what do we need to say and and I think my impression of Blackpool fans is pretty favorable actually as well so if that's the right thing to go on then I'd say you know it's, it's, it's a good club to do it it's going to be the one intriguing thing for me is if he does change career, uh, sorry, change um, teams at some point in the future, which seems likely for any footballer, um, particularly if he is doing as well as he, as he started. Um, going into a new dressing room later on down the line might be, I wonder if that might be a nerve wracking moment because on the face of it, people will be obviously congenial, but would they really be behind the scenes? Who knows? I guess that's one thing you'd have to worry about maybe. I mean, I think we've seen with, you know, the, the allegations of Crawley um, and oh yeah, John the clubs that, that that actually you know it, it doesn't. The clubs are often very different behind the scenes than than they appear outwardly, or or very different than their fan base. You know, yeah, Mill, Millwall fans are not the best fans in the world, but actually the club do a ridiculous amount and have won yeah. the community club of the year um, many times. Um, 
So it's really hard to know kind of if he'll face those issues. But but I do think that whatever does happen, it, it will be if, you know, on a personal level for him, it'll be really fantastic that he's done this at this point and that, you know, what what's worse than getting abuse from fans is, is living in, in the shadows and not being a true self. And yeah. I think whatever happens in his career, good on him because he, he gets to be himself now. And, and that's, you know, the only important thing, really. Absolutely. And doing it this early, you know, um, if he, particularly if he does stay with Blackpool for a while, he'll be establishing um, some experience or so getting through some experience in that one environment for a while. I think that might help to kind of ease his way in should he move on to another club or go up through divisions and face different sets of fans and so on. Yeah. But I think what you say absolutely is true. And what's been alleged to have been said by and done by um, John Yems at um, Crawley is pretty disgusting. Um, I mean, that's uh, reportedly saying advocating segregation in the changing rooms, which is abhorrent and frankly quite ridiculous in this modern age. And he has left the club, and we, we don't know the full details on it, but um, it does seem that uh, there's some pretty unsavoury matters have occurred there. And, and I know that's not exactly the same subject, of course, but, you know, to think there is a modern football club in this era that where that may be a genuine claim is ridiculous. Uh, but it, I'm glad that um, anyway, going back to Jake Daniels, that he's, he's come out. I couldn't, couldn't be more um, in awe of what he's done and thumbs up to him. Brilliant. It's, it's superb. Um, we'll probably leave it there guys, unless you've got anything else to, to rant about or talk about from the, for the weekend. Um, I guess we should say, Commiserations to Jason, Nathan Jones, who's had a brilliant, uh, done a brilliant job with Luton. Getting into the playoffs at all was superb for them. Um, and maybe we'll see him at the Albion one day in the future. Who knows? We'll do a full summary on the playoffs later. But um, yeah, commiserations to him, I suppose. Seems a nice guy and he's done a brilliant job there. Um, aside from that, though, guys, anything else to, to mention at your end? Uh, I can't wait to, uh, to see the Huddersfield home game next season. I think that'll be, you know, that's one to put in your diary, isn't it? Yeah, if they get through, yeah. So it's Huddersfield yeah. Forest, as uh, yeah. I think, probably, although Forest are playing as we speak, I think. Um, I would hope it is Forest. Um, yeah. But yeah, Huddersfield really strikes a lot of um, excitement into that. A couple of good away games there, regardless, isn't it? I'm quite happy with that. Uh, yeah. Yes, indeed. So there we go. Okay, well, well, thank you very much, Jack, for rejoining us again for your second stint on the pod. And Graham, thank you very much for joining us for the first time. I hope you enjoyed it and it hasn't been too painful for you. Thank you very much, Russ. Cheers, Russ. Excellent. We'll do it all again, I'm sure, at some point. And we will do a preview. Um, We're doing a preview, Peter and I, on uh, recording on Friday ahead of the final game of the season on Sunday against West Ham, which is, of course, at the Amex. I think it's a 4pm kickoff, isn't it? Final game of the season. Um, so I look forward to that. We will also be doing a review of the season coming up in due course as well. Um, so final word from uh, from you guys. It's been a good season, hasn't it, overall? Yeah. Enjoyed it? Yeah, really good, especially away from home. It's been you know, arguably the best away season we've had. In, I can never think of, you know... Since when have we gone to London and never lost a game as, uh, as a Londoner? It's pretty fantastic, that, isn't it? Um, you know, hopefully for next season, the, the home form improves a bit and the away form stays the same and we can all uh, get check into the Europa Conference League. Yeah, yeah <laughs> That's the dream. And, and is the man who we've been wearing wigs off the, the, the man of the season, do you think? 
uh, maybe to Graham we'll ask you that one. And, well, to both of you, actually. Uh, player of the season? Um, yeah. Hmm, I think probably <laughs> it's got to be Basuma, I think. I, I would agree. Really. Yeah, I, I think, I think you know, Basuma had, what, four bad games this season at, at most? Um, I mean, I think there's a good argument to say there are very few players as skilled as him uh, and technically talented as him to, to ever wear the stripes. So, um, you know, I, I think he probably would deserve it, but it's been a stunning debut season for Cucurella. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think, you know, there are a lot of really wonderful uh, seasonal performances. Dunk's been great. Um, Cucurella's been great. Zuma's been great. Uh, Welbeck has found a, another lease of life. Um, Mopes had had some great spells in the season. It'd be great to see him create that consistency. Um, very little to complain about apart from that awful seven-game loss, <laughs> um, <laughs> losing streak, but or six games and Norwich, which counts as a loss, really. But um, yeah, it's been a pretty fantastic season, hasn't it? It has indeed. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep my powder dry on my player of the season, but I I think both Kukurea and Basuma are, are certainly going to be right up there because they both had cracking seasons. Mm. Um, so that's that. Um, also, just to quickly mention as well, thank you very much to our very first Patreon who signed up with us. Um, we now know, his, and he's happy to men- for his name to be mentioned, Andy Oram. So thank you very much to Andy for being our very first Patreon. You'll always be historically linked with us for that now. If, if anyone else does want to join up on that, it's completely... Uh, voluntary if you want to you don't have to you still get the same content regardless and if you do want to join you can go to www.patreon which is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash brighton rock pod i think the the b the r and the p in capitals but i don't think it matters um and you can sign up for as little as a pound a month if you can rate and review us online that'd be great as well on your usual um podcast platform providers whoever you use and either way round thanks again to graham and jack for joining us um it's been a pleasure we'd love to get you back on again soon and in the meantime stand or fall up the albion sports social podcast network our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that you know Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs> 